This episode of Powder Keg is brought to you by Perk, a marketing technology company that connects consumers to brands. And what I love about Perk is that Perk is a lot like Indianapolis, the city where they're headquartered. You see, Indy has all the opportunities that a big city offers with all the small town charm. So similarly, Perk has big company stability and all the excitement of a small growing tech startup. It's really the best of both worlds. And Perk is hiring for a bunch of positions. So if you're interested, check out perk.com forward slash careers. That's P-E-R-Q.com forward slash careers and see if there's a fit for you or for a friend. Again, that's perk.com forward slash careers. And we're live here uh, with Powder Keg Live, a special Rise of the Rest edition, hashtag Rise of Rest. We have half of the finalists for the Rise of the Rest tour, Indianapolis, amazing companies represented at this table here right now today. And we're coming at you live from Indianapolis, Indiana, downtown in Edge Media Studios. Um, these Edge Media Studios guys, they know how to do live casts well. Uh, I like calling them Edge Casts because they just do them at such a different degree. You have to like categorize them as an entirely different thing. Uh, Site Strategic is the holding company that that owns Edge Media Studios, and we're super fortunate to be in here today uh, because we have just a powerhouse of talent at the table. So I want to introduce everyone here at the table, uh, starting with you, uh, Mr. Christopher Day. Uh, Christopher Day is the co-founder and CEO of Demand Jump. Uh, Christopher, thank you for being here. Uh, I want to be here. I want to offer you the opportunity to give a, an elevator pitch for Demand Jump, but I want to first introduce everyone at the table. So I'm going to give you a minute to think about what your elevator pitch might be for Demand Jump, because I'm sure you've never given it before. Not, not yet. It's first time. First time. <laughs> I'm really nervous. <laughs> to your left, we are joined by Megan Glover, the co-founder and CEO of 120 Water Audit. Megan, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, and then, of course, to my right, Adam Berry, co-founder and CEO of Political Bank. Of course. Another great Indianapolis company. And to my left, Susan Marshall, co-founder and CEO of the wonderful Torchlight, mm -hmm. a company that we are very familiar with yeah. and we've had on the Powder Cake stage many a time. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Happy to be here. And then, of course, we have Mr. Scott McCorkle, uh, one of the co-founders of Exact Target, serial entrepreneur, and now the executive chairman of Fusic. And yes. Torchlight. Yeah. And Torchlight. <laughs> and Torchlight. You guys get double representation. It's right. not fair. Can I say that? Yeah. I love it. I love it. We're going to give everyone the opportunity to give an elevator pitch here because the companies that you're here representing, um, I'm going to ask you to represent Fusic primarily, Scott. You got uh, it. I know you're yep, invested yep, in a yep. lot of companies. I'll do Torchlight. Thank you for that. Um, that. That is a great story here in Indianapolis. The exact target exit uh, that, that exited for around $2.5 billion dollars. Now Salesforce Tower being the largest, tallest tower in all of Indiana. Uh, it's an incredible uh, accomplishment for you. Uh, and then for all of us as a community to have sort of the waves of just positive feedback into the community, talent, capital, customers. Lots, yeah, lots of incredible startups. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, let's start with this incredible startup, uh, Demand Jump. Yes, sir. Tof, as I sometimes call you. Please call me Tof. All right. So all my friends call me. All right. I love it. Tof, take it away. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to slow clap you or anything. Okay. So can you give us the 30-second pitch? Yep. 30-second pitch is we built a, a traffic cloud, prescriptive attribution. So retail used to be all about location, location, location. When the digital era came along, we all forgot about the where, and everybody started focused on the who. Became the wild, wild west, focused on the who, thinking that our website was the, the center of the universe. That's not true. 
Um, what we've discovered with the traffic cloud is that marketers on average only have 20% visibility into their actual competitive digital ecosystem. It's a massive problem. Uh, they, don't, they literally don't have 80% visibility into the potential revenue for their company. And so that's what we solve. We help our customers drive more traffic than their competitors full stop. I have lots of questions for you, but I'll, but I'll come back. Let's let's let Megan give her uh, pitch for 120 Water Audit. Uh, so 120 Water Audit, I mean, simply put, we're revolutionizing the water quality industry. We build an enterprise-level platform and testing kits that our customers use to collect data, manage data, and trend data to help them stay compliant for lead and other contaminants, and probably most importantly, make informed data-driven decisions to protect our public health. I don't like it because it tells me that I have a ton of lead in my water at my house <laughs> in broader. We, we all do. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Of course, I love it. It's good to know what's in your water, what you're consuming daily. Yep. Um, it is. It prompted me to get a double filtration system that I nice. now drink all yep. of my water out of exactly. instead of the tap. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Thank you for being here, Megan. Thank you. Adam, give us a pitch on Political Bank. Yeah. So Political Bank is a one-stop uh, ecosystem for candidates, elected officials, and voters. And the idea is that there's about 800,000 candidates who run for office in the United States every two years. And the process of, of just getting started, let alone managing, managing your campaign, is, is very difficult. So what we want to do is create a platform where candidates could very quickly and efficiently launch a campaign website, recruit volunteers, raise money, convey their positions on issues, and where voters can go and find those candidates and support them by name, demographic, location, or issue. I love it. Yeah. I have lots of questions for you. I'll, I'll answer them. <laughs> We're coming back. Susan, will you yes. give us the elevator pitch yes. on Torchlight, where it is today? So Torchlight is a digital marketing project management platform that helps you um, identify gaps, tells you what you should actually do, and then connects you with the, the resources that help you get it done. So we have a network of about 250 digital marketing experts that can help you execute your campaigns. And then the project management platform keeps track of all your marketing plans, campaigns, deliverables, keeps everybody on the same page. Mm -hmm. um, we developed Torchlight a couple years ago because marketers are going through a massive transformation right now. They're bombarded by multiple tools and technologies, and it's frustrating trying to figure out how to navigate it all. So we knew it had to be a combination of technology and people in order to make them successful. And so that's what we've built. And we grew 100% year on year and keep growing. So we're obviously solving a big problem and we're super excited about the future of Torchlight. Congrats on all the progress. Thanks. I'm eager to talk more about that. Yeah. And Scott, <laughs> yes, representing right. Fusic. Fusic. We, we have fused <laughs> music and messaging for four-wall location-based businesses. You know, audio really is not a marketing channel today. And there's lots of things that store owners or business owners don't control, but their space is one of them. And they should be able to engage their customers with a full marketing tech platform that leverages audio. So that's what we've built. Um, and that includes content management, all the workflow to get the right content that you want from an audio messaging perspective, automation and personalization to the same degree you would expect for any digital channel, all the ROI and attribution, what am I saying is that having an impact, and then something really special that'll be fun to talk about, a full-blown advertising network where I can think about distributing audio advertising through eventually hundreds of thousands of locations.
That's awesome. I've probably heard <laughs> Fusic and I don't even know it. <laughs> that, that, you probably that is have. probably true. Yeah. And, and we are. If you've been to Sky Zone, you've heard Fusic. Oh, I, I have been to Sky Zone. Yeah, we have a lot of Sky Zones as customers. That's awesome. Well, I uh, I'm very excited to talk with you guys. Um, obviously, being selected as a finalist for Rise of the Res. I don't know if you know this, but Indianapolis had the most number of applications oh, really? out of all of the cities on this tour, mm. which I was very proud to hear. Yeah. yeah, it is exciting. I think it, it's just a testimony to the ecosystem that we have here that there's this many viable tech companies. And they, I mean, it wasn't like it was an easy choice whittling it down. Obviously, you guys are exceptional companies, but there were a lot of other exceptional companies that didn't get it to the, the uh, final round. So to have half of you guys here today is super exciting. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be on uh, three or four of the other tours previously in other cities. So it's really cool to kind of like drop in and see what an ecosystem is like, whether it's Philadelphia or it's Baltimore or it's you know somewhere down down in the lower Midwest like Des Moines, Iowa. Um, it's just really cool to see the differences. I love what we have here in Indianapolis. I think it really is exceptional, and I'd love to talk to you guys a little bit about what it's been like growing your company here in Indianapolis. Uh, you know, Christopher, I know you started your first company here in Indiana. You grew up in a small town, dirt floor. Is that right? Almost <laughs> dirt floor. Yeah, particle board. Particle Very close board. to dirt. Part <laughs> disintegrating quickly. Disintegrating quickly. You, you've started several <laughs> companies here that, that you've been able to grow and exit from. Why did you decide to start this uh, most recent company? And why did you decide to start it here in Indiana? Uh, so the reason, so I love to solve problems. So listen, 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 I think is the most uh, important skill set any of us can have. And so, you know, I've experienced in previous businesses challenges in, in marketing and feeling like, um, you know, what should we do next quantifiably, right? If you think about a, a CRO, you know, has a CRM to go to. A CFO has an ERP. What does the marketer have? What does that CMO have to go run their business on a day-to-day, week-to-week, you know, month-to-month basis? And you know, we believe all these tools that exist out there are all focused on go execute something, go automate something, go engage with your customer, go look at their journey or create an experience. Those things are all super important but they're only half the equation. Like none of them tell a marketer what they should do to begin with before they go do any of those things. So that's kind of what we're focused on. Why Indianapolis? The people. I mean, look at the people around this table, right? And I look back to when I was 27 years old, starting the, the first technology company. This didn't exist, this frothy environment. How long was that? 15, 20 years ago, 17, 18 mm -hmm. years ago? It is unbelievable what we've built, right? And, and you go to the, the exact targets, right? And that success breeds success, right? Look at Susan coming out of that. I mean, it's just, it's awesome. And so I, I think that we should consider Indianapolis, um, in my opinion, is no longer the crossroads of America. I think it's the nation's nucleus and we should own it full stop. And we can start with marketing technology um, and, and SaaS in general, but all the other different types of businesses that are popping up. It is much more cost effective to build a business here. We graduate the second highest number of engineers uh, regionally as compared to anybody in the in the country, only behind the research triangle. What, we've had four, five, six billion dollars in exits in the last 10 years, mm -hmm. roughly? Seven billion. Seven, Seven billion? billion? Of IPOs and exits. Yep. Um, That's and, awesome. And you stack those numbers up again, we go, we can go mm -hmm. head to head with anybody in the country. I love mm -hmm. it. I love wow. it. Fiery. We're getting into Let's it here again. on Powder Keg Live. The nation's nucleus. I, I like that. I like that, too. You heard it here first. Let's own it. Hashtag own rise it. of rest. Nation's yeah. nucleus is Indianapolis. I'd like to dive in a little bit, not to alienate, but I, we have a preponderance of marketing technology here right now. So I want to go down that thread a little bit. Um, Scott, can you take me back to, obviously, there, there's this huge history of Exact Target and the effect it's had on our tech community. Um, can you take me back to where things were when you guys started 
ET. Oh wow! Oh wow! <laughs> what what yeah. was what was the business environment like? What yeah. was the tech culture like? You know, I mean, I, th I think if you've looked at Indiana broadly, it's always been a business friendly climate. You know, low re regulation, low taxes, uh, state and city support for. Uh, new new businesses, and that goes back to the early days of Exact Target. I mean, we were able to uh, acquire some economic incentives very early uh, that were very helpful for our business. Was, was that from the state? Uh, state and city. Okay. State and city both. And if you look at the history of Exact Target, tens of millions of dollars uh, in, in incentives, and I, that's mm. perhaps top of mind because just yesterday with Fusic, we announced a three and a half million dollar incentive package with uh, it, 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 the state of Indiana and additional incentives with Fishers. Oh, congratulations! Yeah, thank you. Yeah, for for uh, a plan for two hundred fifty five jobs over the next three years, um, and that kind of support is just just wonderful. But but I, but I think if you if you go back to the early days of Exact Target, you just can't help but think of just this pioneering time for digital marketing. The idea that you can have this communication packaged and managed and automated at, at scale with, with customers. And boy, it was just the golden age. It was really a, an exciting time to start a company. I love it. What, what were some of the biggest hurdles you had to overcome? You know, there are several. I, I, can, I can remember uh, like it was yesterday, the transition out of kind of smaller, medium businesses into the enterprise. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't think that's a transition that every company has to make, but, but I think if you really wanna be market leader, you kinda have to be mm -hmm. at the enterprise level. And we made that transition, and it was it was super painful, really, in, in all respects. You know, there were there were five accounts that came to us really within a few months: Bank of America, Best Buy, Nike, Microsoft, and Expedia. We would have been happy to have won one of them, and we won all five. And mm -hmm. and it really it just put the company on a different trajectory. I mean, it almost broke every process and every you know aspect of the company. But you know, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. And kind of the rest is history. I, I love it. I think we have a very sales first business culture here. And it has certainly catapulted a lot of companies. A Torchlight, I mm -hmm. mean, is a great example. Yeah. Uh, I won't share any of the numbers, but I remember sitting in on the judging panel for the Mirror Awards, one of the technology awards here in Indiana. Mm -hmm. And hearing your first year numbers, I was just like, yeah. wait, that's those are your numbers for this year? Mm -hmm. Like, it was crazy. Well, you guys we, just we, came out of the gates. Well, we jumped in. Um, on advice from some very experienced people who'd done this before, jump in and just start selling. Um, even if you don't have the complete solution, figure out what you should build. And through that process, you'll build a customer first product. If we had built what I had envisioned two years ago, we would have had to throw that away by now. So mm -hmm. what we have today, our project management capabilities are totally different than what I envisioned. And it's all because we just started servicing customers and bigger marketing teams and they started telling us what they want. And so since we have a great dev team, we've been able to build it really quickly. So, and then we were able to use that cash from the services piece to start to build up our development team and our, our technology. And prior to even starting Torchlight, you were in a leadership position at Exact Target, I was, right? Yes. What, what were some of the lessons you learned there that you've carried over and implemented, and as you've been now at the helm of Torchlight? Mm -hmm. I think I think Exact Target was a sales-oriented culture, but it was also a customer-driven uh, first culture. So, I was on the product team and product marketing, and we were constantly talking to customers listening to what they had to say, uh, changing what we were doing based on what our customers wanted. So I think being customer first and customer focused was something that I learned from Exact Target. You know, prior to that, I was at Apple and 
it was totally different culture. It wasn't customer first. It wasn't let's listen to the customer and tell have them tell us. It was we're all geniuses. We'll come up with something brilliant and push it out to the market. And uh, that's just a unique, obviously, experience. It seemed to have worked. <laughs> it it does seem to have worked. <laughs> that worked really there well. But, um, so, it so is I, a different I, culture for sure. For sure. For sure. So, yeah, I learned a lot of exact target. Oh, I've got so yeah. many questions on, on that front. But I, I want to <laughs> pivot this over uh, to you, Megan and Adam, because I, I know you guys both are experiencing huge growth, um, came out of the gates swinging. I, I, I mean, a lot of people I know have used 120 Water Audit to test test their water at home and uh, continue with the subscription service to make sure that they're continuing to live a healthier lifestyle. And likewise with Political Bank, I mean, you and I grabbed a beer on Friday, Adam, and I, I can't believe the number of candidates you have on the platform. Yeah. Uh, how many candidates do you have now? Uh, just over a thousand. That's awesome. Yeah. From all 50 states and, and District of Columbia. So, so talk to me about uh, how you decided to even start Political Bank. Why, yeah. why was this the problem you, you thought needed to be solved? Yeah, I, I, I will first before I you love start. the T-shirt, by the way. Oh, thanks, man. I, I uh, Yeah. Marketing, right? Got to represent. <laughs> yeah. um, the original no, marketing technology. Yeah, I, 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 I'll tell you about Political Bank and, and how it started. But I, I first want to give you a quick shout out and, cool. and thank you. I mean, you have been on tour with these guys for three, four years. I know you've done some lobbying for them to come to Indianapolis. So, so thank you, <laughs> Look, Matt. Just and, a and little I, bit. And Powder Keg for, for your efforts. Um, so how actually, I have a funny story about that because I was on the second tour, which the first tour I saw hit like Nashville, Cincinnati, and like everywhere but Indianapolis. So like it was geography all around. And I was like, no way. Like, yes. and when I got the opportunity to go on tour, I was like, yes, because I want to be the Trojan horse that gets them to come to Indianapolis. And it worked. And I was on the bus, and uh, Steve Case shows me his email, and he's like, you know this guy? And it was Scott Dorsey who had emailed him <laughs> while we were on the on the tour, and he was like, hey, wh why don't you come to Indianapolis? And it, it was like, you know this guy? I'm like, yeah, I know that guy. <laughs> we all know that guy. <laughs> it was guy. pretty funny. Like, great. <laughs> they were getting hit at all fronts by people wanting to wanting rise arrest to come here well, so we have a lot of, a lot of people to thank for yeah. that and i mean yeah. without the companies they wouldn't be coming yeah well indianapolis is a great place to start a company yeah. as christopher mentioned absolutely um, so political bank right so uh i have a background in politics um i am a lawyer by trade don't hold that against me but um <laughs> but i did hate being a lawyer so uh but i've always had this entrepreneurial mind so i knew i was going to start a company someday what would it be well i had this you know 12 years of, of political experience helping candidates get started. And it hit me uh, in, in 2014 as I was helping this candidate get his campaign started. I was telling him to, you know, you need to clean up your Facebook page, Twitter account, blah, 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 blah. blah. And, uh, and, and it, having a website really wasn't even an option because he's, a, you know, this lower level candidate who couldn't really afford a, a, a really robust website. So I thought, why don't we create this platform where we can just say, hey, go to Political Bank, start your website, and then, oh, by the way, if you need campaign yard signs, we can offer that to you. If you need voter targeting software, we can offer that to you. That's sort of this one-stop shop that, in theory, saves these candidates time, money, and, and other resources, which are, you know, very valuable to these candidates who are, you know, you know, if you're running for Congress or U.S. Senate, I mean, that's a full-time job, and you, you've got million or millions of dollars these local candidates do not. So let's make it super simple for anyone who even has the the, the remote interest of pursuing elected office. Let's give them an easy way to get started and, and give them a competitive chance. I love it because you've got this social angle of getting more people involved 
with with politics, people who might not normally run for office, who are qualified for office to jump in the arena. Bingo. And at the same time, get more people involved with voting and getting involved in local politics as opposed to just national politics. That's right. And along the lines of these guys, I mean, talking to your customers, I mean, we've done a a lot of talking with our customers to find out exactly what they want. We've heard a lot of these stories of candidates who this, you know, first time candidates Mm -hmm. who leveraged political bank for success and ended up winning their election almost to their own surprise. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. That's really cool. I'd love to, we'll have to jump back on here sometime with some of your customers and uh, that'd be awesome. Have that conversation. That'd be awesome. Yeah. That would be great. Yeah. Well, and, and Megan, I know from a customer standpoint, a lot of your early um, idea for the product came from a lot of the news that was coming out of Flint, Michigan. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, actually, it um, the whole idea and concept for 120 was happened at Harry's Coffee Shop with uh, co-founder and mentor of mine, Chris Baggett. Um, to take the whole conversation full circle, <laughs> Back to right? Exact Target, one of the co-founders um, as well. And you know, we uh, and and to tope to your point, it's about solving real problems, right? And the the idea was um, there's got to be a better way for consumers to know what's in their water. So uh, we launched on a bootstring budget, a, a consumer kit, and quickly realized that the water quality market it, it's not Flint, right? Flint is an example of how it's broken all across the entire United States. And so uh, quickly realized that the opportunity was not only in the households, but essentially every single place where water was being consumed. Um, Schools, uh, public water systems, uh, parks, public parks. So we we made a little pivot to do a proof of concept in the B2B space and landed our first five schools. Um, Our first elementary school in a very affluent suburb of Indiana, 10% of the taps came back high Mm. with with lead hits. And um, being technologists, my background's in, you know, B2B marketing technology, um, you know, growing startup and scale up companies. Uh, I went back to Chris and I said, this was the most paper driven process I've done in my last 15 years of my career. There's got to be a better platform to collect the data, manage the data and analyze the data. And so we went out and I think it was actually at last year powder keg where 120 launched our wireframes for how we were going to transform the school market. And as of today, we've landed the state of Indiana. They pre-purchased, they bought into the vision. They saw they saw how a, uh, our platform could completely revolutionize these um, these testing efforts. So um, we, that is awesome. Yep. yep. So we are actually uh, the uh, platform and the uh, testing kit of record for all public schools in the state of Indiana, as well as mm-hmm. uh, contracts with the city of Pittsburgh, Lovell, Colorado, and uh, Louisville, Texas. Congratulations. Texas. So, yep. That's so great. Yep. I- and and a little scary that ten percent of the taps came back high mm. in an affluent, uh, particularly oh. like in an affluent, probably newer school. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've learned so much. My I rely on the scientists that are on our board and that we've, you know, that we've um, that we that mentor us. But I will tell you, it's a. Uh, getting kind of geeked out on the water quality and the science behind it is really fascinating. And it, it, it's really, you know, it's massive and it's not just lead either. So um, and not trying to be a scare tactic, but, you know, we're really on the forefront of this transformation that I think we're going to see in water quality and, and other environmental compliance mm-hmm. regulations. Well, congrats on making that pivot too. That That is something that um, you see a lot of tech companies need to execute and some of them do it well and sign five deals really quickly and they're off to the races and that that is clearly the right pivot. Sometimes it's really hard to to change when you've been building so much momentum in one direction and then to be able to, to change that. Has anyone else had a pivot that they've had to execute either at their current company or at a previous company? Yes. So <laughs> yeah. uh, everyone now 
Yes. I, we don't call it, we don't call it a pivot. We just we just call it a, a, a little bit a little swerve in the road. Swivel. Yeah, swivel. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when we first launched Political Bank, we thought, okay, well, you know, we we have to start with it with the MVP version, and how how are we going to make money? Well, let's charge our so let's give them the website, but if they want to use it to raise campaign donations, then they would have to pay a monthly fee. Well, lo and behold, people want things for free these days. <laughs> so we had to uh, decide to take down uh, that uh, fee requirement in order for them to raise money. And fortunately, it worked out, and we saw our, we saw our numbers start to spike. Uh, but that's that's my 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 swivel story. I love it. Yeah, executed flawlessly. Yeah, yeah. No. It appears so. I mean, it, it worked. It, it worked appears out. so. Trust me, it worked out. It worked out very well. Good. Yeah. Usually, the best pivots are the ones where it's like you you make the change and then everything starts getting easier. Right. Right. So, if it looks like you might have, I've a, got fifty five at least. At least fifty five over the last fifteen years. Been counting. Uh, but but two in, in demand jump specifically is number one when we first launched and went to market. We went to um, agencies. We thought that would be a natural fit. And uh, and what we discovered is a lot of the agencies. The business model is set up to to charge a percentage, right, of of your spend, and um, and so they, so they don't, don't actually want to optimize the spend. They don't they don't really want to optimize that, right? And so they're incented for you to spend more money, not to make more money, which is a you know that's a big problem for what we are all about, right? We want to make more money for people, um, and so so we we switched and went direct and that's not to say all agencies are are bad I'm whoever's listening mm -hmm. out there uh, I'm not saying that but we have a lot but, of great agencies we work with yeah but 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 a, but a, a good chunk of agencies sure. truly they really don't they want to do just good enough to not get fired and that's that's the truth that might be a little mm -hmm. brutal to say but it's the truth <laughs> tell me how you really feel um but let's say there's probably three or four agencies out of 10 that that I think truly are trying to embrace a better way to do things um, but the other thing that, and it's delayed us about 10 months with the platform, but what we realized when we went to market was we were showing people the most powerful things that they should be doing on how they spend their money. And it was a really abrupt, um, it, it was like a really a big wake up call for how they're used to doing business from a marketing perspective. And it was too big of a leap. And so what we discovered was we needed to lead with the customer data. So we see there's four main pillars, right? Customer data, competitive intelligence, prescriptive analytics, prescriptive attribution. And this attribution concept is really at the core of everything. But it took us 10 months to figure out how to bake in this customer data piece. But what happened was after we finished it, the number one question we get today when we meet with prospects is, can this replace my Adobe Analytics? Mm. And the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's, exciting. That's a good, uh, good place to be. Mm -hmm. Is fun. Yeah. Similar. Well, we have a similar. Yeah, so I was, was going to ask. We started selling to much smaller companies, startups. Um, huge, huge need there for sure for um, a lot of the services we were offering. But the, the technology that we've built is a collaboration platform, project management platform that really lends itself to bigger teams. So, um, so what we've started to do is pivot towards selling to bigger marketing teams, which means we are changing the way we sell and who we sell to and, and how to position. And so, so you learn a lot by doing mm -hmm. is what I've, what I've experienced. And uh, we feel like we really know who we need to go after and what they look like. 
And I think the hard part is probably getting everybody aligned around executing against that 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 vision or that idea. But um, so we, yeah, so we've had to kind of switch a little bit about who we who we target and the the value that we can provide through both our software and services. And Susan, as you, as you're selling Torchlight to these larger enterprise uh, accounts, what is what are some of the lessons you learned in making that shift in sales strategy? Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in other words, like what did you find worked really well, or what are some of the things that worked really well for startups? but didn't work so well in the enterprise. Outbound is starting to work really well for us. So we've been able to, through multiple iterations, we outsourced outbound, you know, actually cold calling mm-hmm. and setting up appointments and um, to bringing it in-house. Um, we've found a good formula there for that. And we're getting even tighter between sales and marketing around a more of an account-based marketing strategy. So um, we had marketing over here just generating a lot of leads and they weren't necessarily converting. Um, some were, but we weren't sure why. Mm-hmm. So now we're getting closer and closer with, with sales and marketing. You get very targeted. So what are those two? Ooh, those 200 customers that we're going after? And let's make sure as an organization we're all looking at them every day and thinking about how to how to go after them and providing value. So uh, we kind of went from here to trying to figure it all out to getting very, very narrow and targeted. You'd think we'd be great at it because we're a marketing platform, but we're, we're learning too as we go the, as we go along. The cobbler's kids doesn't always <laughs> wear shoes. Yeah. Yes. So, we know how that goes. Yeah. But outbound, it can work. Yeah. What, yeah. what have you found to work really well with outbound? I think it's the people. Mm-hmm. Um, but getting, like the getting, right people on the, the team right people doing on the outbound. The team. Yeah, for sure. Phone and email. Yep. Phone and email. Um, making sure they know uh, exactly who to be calling. I mean, it's just the basics, I guess, yep. and what the value prop is, what the um, qualifi- qualification criteria is, budget, authority, need, timeline, just really getting all the process down and then repeating what works over and over and over again. Is there a particular um, playbook that you kind of borrowed to get you know, mm. 80% of the way there and then customized from there? Or was there a book you read or... Was it really just kind of creating it from the ground up? What would what would I want as a customer yeah. that experience to I think, be? I think part of the marketer's dilemma is that there are so many blogs and books and competing points of view and account-based marketing versus inbound. And um, so there, I don't think there's one go-to source right yeah. now. And that's, that's actually one of the problems we're trying to solve too in our platform through this template idea. So hmm. we've created a community around... Um, on what you actually should do through a template. So if your objective is you're a retailer and you're trying to drive B2B leads and you have Pardot, here are all the tasks and deliverables and roles that are associated with that. And so publishing that out to the community, letting marketers find that, and then executing it through our platform is how we're planning on driving more demand. Uh, very similar to, to GitHub, which is a developer's way of sharing code. So this is a way for marketers to share concepts and ideas. And we do that a lot through blogging and everything else, but not practical. Here's exactly what you got to go do and who should do it. And now let's put it into action. So we're super excited about our template strategy. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Scott, how about with Fusic? What, what's sort of the, the, the secret sauce there to, I mean, you have a very different customer than a lot of the other people at the table with the, you know, you mentioned four walls and a, and a physical location. Yeah, you know, the use cases that we're seeing are pretty extraordinary, and I'd love to des- describe a couple of them here in, in a moment. But as we, we had the, the conversation, I, I can't help but highlight something that is very unique for a startup, and it just makes it so hard. And I find it kind of emotionally and intellectually refreshing just to admit the hardness, right? And just get, until we all find product market fit, you know, we, we really don't have anything. And you just have to be completely 
transparent and honest with yourself, your company, your investors that we're trying to figure this out. And even once you get that product market fit, only the paranoid survive. There are competitors, <laughs> there are, you know, things change in the marketplace. So just that being open to, is it really working? Mm-hmm. If the answer to that is no, that's okay, right? What, what startup figures it out at the beginning? Very, very few. Um, so, and I think we all have surprises and you have to be open-minded to those surprises and it f- feeds in great to your question. So when we were thinking of four-wall marketing, naturally we think retailers. Well, we have lots of entertainment centers that have become very large customers. We have our first example that just went live of a pharmaceutical company paying for Fusic to go into specialty doctors for clinical trial signups. And if we kind of look at these breadth of use cases, it's extraordinary. And it just shows that audio really is a powerful communication channel and it needs the same kind of platform that any other digital marketing channel would need. And we don't see it. So we're going to try to build that. That's awesome. How's that, how's that resonating right now in, in the marketplace with Fusic uh, in particular? Like, what are people getting really excited about? Um, it really is the control of the content. Yeah. It's that I have a message and I can get that message produced in a um, professional way. Uh, larger companies have their own voice talent. We've actually organized a network of hundreds of freelance voice talent. Uh, for organizations that don't. Sometimes an agency will will provide this for uh, our customers. But here is this content, and I want to create rules around how the content is used. So if it's raining, I want different content than if it's not raining. And, you know, all the kinds of things we would think of as digital marketers with Mm -hmm. the level of dynamicness or personalization, well, that doesn't apply to someone just playing music in their space, you know, which is sort of what we all think of as creating atmosphere in four walls. It's just, well, let me get some licensed music. And it's just not enough. We need the same level of personalization. Um, Christopher mentioned SkyZone. You know, there's an operational... For, for those that don't know, what is SkyZone? It is yeah. a trampoline park. Okay. And if you have any kid... Be- One of the coolest businesses <laughs> in all the land. <laughs> from, from an unbiased source. Yeah, it sort of is maybe one of those best ideas ever, right? Yeah. You get 35,000 square feet of warehouse space and put a bunch of trampolines in it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it, there's, a, there's a very in, intense process of moving people through that experience. You know, these tickets expire, time for the new group to come on. And Fusic's managing that whole process. It's all orchestrated, and uh, all that that audio comes out of kind of our platform, including, you know, be sure to get a slushy at the concession stand because they're pretty tasty. Mm-hmm. Sure, it'll keep you going, too. Yeah, <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, I do want to point out that all of you have voice talent voices here on the Powder Cake Podcast. I, I, I would just want to compliment all I of you. You sound so good on the mic. Um, <laughs> I'm excited to hear your voices on the stage. Uh, next week on October 12th, which is when the Rise of the Rest pitch is going down. We're having it at Union 525, um, just south of the Circle in downtown Indianapolis, and you'll each have a chance to pitch to Steve Case. Uh, I saw yesterday all tickets at all levels are sold out. Oh, yes. really? Packed How many house. people? How many people? 16,000. Pretty big. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, we are going to, if you weren't lucky enough to get a ticket, uh, they were free, which might be why it sold out as quickly as it did. Um, but we will be live streaming all of that. So all of your pitches will be live streamed. You'll be able to catch that live stream. Thanks to uh, Powder Keg and Edge Media Studios. It's helping us out there. Uh, multiple camera angles. And you'll be able to find that at uh, facebook.com forward slash rise of rest. 
uh, go there, check it out. You can say, notify me when this goes live. You don't want to miss these pitches uh, because they're going to be great. I want to ask each of you about how, you, how you've kind of developed your pitch along the way and uh, what, what you've evolved, what you've dropped out, what, you, what you've added. Um, but it, it just really quickly, for those that are listening or watching on Facebook Live, I want to encourage you again to share um, this, this particular story because these companies are amazing. Uh, the more exposure we give to them, the more exposure uh, we're giving to Indianapolis as a tech community, and as a tech hub, the more we're giving exposure to uh, talent for these amazing job opportunities, because I'm sure all of you are hiring right now. Um, so I, I just want to encourage for those of you that are watching, those of you that are listening, uh, if you're listening on the podcast, of course, you know, share the podcast with other other folks. Um, but Megan, can we maybe start with you and... Um, We've had you uh, pitch on the powder keg stage a couple of times, yes. and I've noticed some changes along the way. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to ask you, you know, what have you found is at the core of the pitch? Like, is there anything that has never changed from the beginning uh, in terms of the storytelling? And, and then you know, what has changed? Mm -hmm. I, th I think the only thing that stays constant is the massive problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then it's the solutions that have changed, right? You know, it's, uh, you know, our solutions have evolved from, you know, we are just a retail consumer kit to now we are an enterprise level platform and we serve very complex verticals and industries. So I think the only constant has been the massive problem that we're trying to revolutionize and solve through our product and services. Um, and then, you know, everyone has an opinion. <laughs> so, I mean, I was looking at my folder in preparation. We, I mean, there are... I'm probably a, more than 50 versions of of the deck wow. of the deck over time. So wow. I think it's managing. Everyone has a different flavor of what they want to see and how they want to see it. Whether you're partner, investors, mm -hmm. um, you know, trainers. So I think just you know, yeah. But are, are you customizing the deck before each? time you give the pitch, whether it's to a customer it or to an investor? Yeah, yeah, it depends. Yeah. De yeah, yeah, it depends on who we're talking to, for sure. Yeah, I think yeah. that's fascinating, you know, going back, I don't know if you guys save any of the folders from uh, past versions of the of the deck, or even past companies, I've, I've got a couple hard drives somewhere that are just hilarious to go back and look at some harebrained oh, ideas yeah. that I had in the past. I know none of you had harebrained ideas, but uh, it's all, all perfect. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, uh, thank you for sharing that. What, what has been the biggest change in how you've pitched 120 water audit? Um, I tend to talk too much, right? So I think mm. the biggest change is how do you, how do you tell this story in the most impactful way in the shortest amount of time, right? And then translating that to visual. I mean, a, you know, a great visual is worth a thousand words and uh, we're still perfect. We don't have that down, right? So I think it's how do we, um, one, how do we get better at telling our story visually so that we can condense uh, the physical aspect of the slide deck, but then also how do we take this massive story and whittle it down to four minutes? Is anybody else struggling with that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on, people, let's be real. I love it. Um, We're yeah. getting real here. Yeah, so uh, so I, I'm, I'm constantly reminded by peers that um, we have less than seven days, so I <laughs> is there one is there one visual in particular that that really resonates with your uh target market whether it's customer or investor? Um, i had two so our first deck was a picture of my son because he gave us the best quote for the business i mean i loved it and um he said because you know he knows what i do he knows that mommy tests water for a living and he's like yeah when we're thirsty we just go and fill up our you know faucet and so i had this quote and i'm biased in a picture of him you know sitting right there um so that I, I that's not going to make it into the rise but i'm kind of biased to that i just you know i love 
I love that because it's kind of hits home on what we're doing. Yeah, maybe um, it should. I, maybe I, it should. I, I think obviously the the intellectual appeal is always important. You got to play to the the logos, yeah. but that yeah. that the ethos and sort it's of why, it's why we get up and do what we do yeah, for sure. So that emotional pain point. Yep. That's yep. great. Yeah. So so bringing it home to people, a lot of those elements have not changed and probably I'm partial to. That's well, awesome. and the pretty visuals of the platform that we built, which is pretty kick-ass. So. It's always nice when you can include pretty visuals of your your UX. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. How about you, Adam? Any Anything in particular that you've learned along the way in, in iterating on the pitch? Yeah. No, I mean, I've probably, like everyone at this table, have done a lot of pitches. Uh, if you were to estimate. In two years, probably... 60, 70 pitches, yeah. I'd say. Um, Customer it, or investor? Uh, All levels. Convention, you know, these uh, conferences, you know, investors, customers. I mean, it's actually, if you're going to add in customers, I mean, gosh, whatever. I don't know. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. You're talking like public pitches. Triple. Yeah, yeah. right. You're talking like events. Right, right, yeah. right. Um, so a lot. Uh, but I, I would say, you know, Megan nailed it. I mean, the one thing and one thing that we we know with absolute certainty is that there's this massive problem mm -hmm. that we feel like we are uniquely positioned to solve. Uh, what has changed over time, uh, you know, depending on the audience, obviously, but what has changed over time is just the progress of our company and what we can include to show how we're going to grow in the market. You know, the partnerships that we've that we've developed over time, you know, the the traction that we've had. Uh, so fortunately, we're able to change the deck in that way. I love it. Yeah, Scott, I'm gonna ask you to put your investor hat on right. for a minute because I, I know you're you're you've had the opportunity to probably hear a lot of pitches. Um, what is it, in your opinion, that that separates the good pitches from the maybe not so good pitches? You know, a, a quick reflection on that, just with this group yeah. and the ten finalists. Like, wow, right? It's really fun to see kind of that collection of companies all. Sort of brought to light it. Totally at, at agree. Yeah, really, really incredible. But you know, it's does someone want what you're making, right? Does will someone pay money to have some problem solved for the, the the product you're building? And there's kind of like levels to it. Is it like it takes all this to solve a little problem, or it <laughs> takes something kind of little to solve a big problem? You know, so um, a little investment to solve big problems. Those are those are really nice and exciting. Um, so it's really finding that fit of what what are you trying to do? Who cares about having that problem solved? And then can the economics of what you can charge, what people will pay, will that support a viable business? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that's it's just it's and it's fun to look at all the different. I know you've looked at thousands of companies, sure. right? It's just fun to see the ideas, right? Absolutely. I mean, how, where you have an entrepreneur say, "Well, here's something I'm thinking of doing or have done." It's like well, I've never thought of that before. That is a great idea. Um, so it's, it's, that's really a fun part of it. Thank you for sharing that perspective. I, I think it's, it's great to have you here uh, to be able to play both sides of that uh, <laughs> situation, both the entrepreneur it's, and it's the It's fun to be pitching. Side. It's fun to be pitching. Yeah? Yeah. You, can, can I tell a quick story about yeah, that, by the way? Because after this, I'm on my way to practice okay, good. in front of the whole Fusic team. Oh, good. And I was no really pressure. struck by, um, <laughs> I really enjoyed ben, ben Horowitz's book, The Hard Thing About Hard yes. Things. And he makes a big point about teaching and us as the, the founders and leaders teaching you know, the our, our teams. So, you know, people are like, hey, you've done this a, how many thousand times? So you'll just, you'll crush it, right? It's like, well, maybe, you know, you, you crush a pitch the same way you get to Carnegie Hall practice. So we're doing all of our practice very group oriented, right? We'll, we'll do half a dozen, 10, like full throated, full on 
uh, practices with the whole company, and that kind of dials in the messaging, right? You have the yep. sales folks going, oh, yeah, I kind of like that. But, you know, so we're mm-hmm. dialing in our messaging at the same time. We're trying to figure out, you know, what the company should do. So it's a great, great catalyst for that. Oh, that's mm-hmm. great. Hidden benefit of pitching at Rise of the Rest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just like lots of practice and iteration. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's great. Mm-hmm. Susan, you, you've got an interesting pitch in that you might have more audiences than other people sitting at the table here with a two-sided marketplace mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. that Torchlight is. How have you kept your pitch versions like separate? You know what I mean? Because you, you're you're sure. pitching not just in person, but you're pitching on the website mm-hmm. as well. You're, you're pitching through outreach email, mm-hmm. whether you're reaching out to a Torchlighter or you know freelancer on the platform versus uh, a client uh, mm-hmm. or a brand that might use the platform to get some work done mm-hmm. uh, on the marketing side. How, yeah. how do you keep all of those versions straight? Um, so you're talking about our dual marketplace and how we talk to freelancers versus brands who need yes. our platform. You should just be the question asker yeah. and the answerer <laughs> as well. <laughs> um, so uh, what we haven't, we've had a lot of great freelancers that have come to our platform, which is great. And so the challenge there is less about messaging them to come and be part of our network, but more about vetting and getting the really great ones that um, can help support our brand. So from a messaging and pitch standpoint, it's been almost all focused on getting customers. customers, yeah. yeah, in um, Because there's just a ton of people out there. It's just finding the right ones. If and the work is there, the freelancers will come. Absolutely. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. So it's sort of finding that critical path of mm-hmm. it, as long as you've got this. I mean, for us, you know, we're, we're in a marketplace where we're serving tech entrepreneurs and investors right. and and professionals as well that want to work at these companies, uh, as well as even customers that want, might want to buy from these tech companies. Yeah. Um, and we very similarly, it's like, let's serve the entrepreneur. Everything yeah. else will fall in place. If get we get the right focused. entrepreneurs there, the right investors will show up. Absolutely. If we have yeah. the right entrepreneurs there, the right talent will show up. Yeah. And if we keep making those customers happy and growing our revenue, those investors will, will come. <laughs> so customer, customer, customer that's, is what we're focused on. That's yeah. awesome. Well, and, and I want to ask everyone what's next, but I, I'm curious, Toph, you, you've given a lot of pitches. Um, I think I've heard your pitch maybe, tw- have you done twice on Powder Keg stage? I think it might be right. It might no, be I, I think you've done it once. Sure, Sean Schwegman, your co-founder, oh, did it once another yep. time. Yep. Uh, but you did it once at Scott Jones's house. Uh, yes. I remember it was the, one of our holiday celebrations. That was very early days demand yeah. jump. So I, if I went, I can't even remember what the first pitch was, honestly. I was thinking about as everybody's talking here. Uh-huh. I mean, Megan, you said you're on 50. I, we're probably on 150. Um, so it, it's it's really hard. The simple story is really hard to get to. Um, our pitch today is nothing like it was 24 months ago. Uh, I also think there's a there's a customer facing story and there's an investor facing story, and and also uh, you know all investors are not created equal, right? Um, I uh, this is the eighth or ninth company I think that I've been a, blessed to be a part of starting, and. Um, I still get treated like crap from investors. Um, and I think we, oh, you know, it just, it, really? <laughs> right. And I just think all entrepreneurs, we're all in it together. Everybody should know out there. If you're an entrepreneur starting a company and, and an investor tells you you're a loser and your idea will never work and you have no experience and whatever they tell you, uh, if you truly believe in what you're building, your vision, just keep taking one step and one step and one step. Mm-hmm. And I think success is largely about perseverance. Right and pivots, we should all embrace pivots, right? Because just like Susan said, if you if you think if you have it figured out on day one, um, and you had some success, well, and you weren't willing to embrace pivots or change, then you you probably did your company a disservice because it wasn't as great as it could have been, right? Yep. Um, so, anyways, yeah, we we we're, I mean, it took me two years to think of two words: traffic cloud. 
Um, <laughs> and so, you know, which you've trademarked now, which we, we, we filed for the trademark. Um, and so, um, but yeah, it's it's hard, and we might turn around in twelve months and go, "What in the heck was that?" Right? I mean, <laughs> it's very probable <laughs> that yeah. we will, right? Yeah. But um, yeah, it's hard. The simplest things are the hardest. Well, I want to thank all of you guys for sharing a little bit of how the sausage gets made and how you create such amazing companies. Um, before we sign off, I, I'd like to open the conversation back up to Indianapolis, and I, I'd love to hear maybe just closing thoughts, like one thing you feel like Indianapolis um, has as an opportunity to work on and, and improve upon, and maybe one thing that Indianapolis, uh, so that we all each individually get to end on a positive note, you know, what mm -hmm. you think our biggest opportunity is that you're leveraging right now in your company and, and, and why uh, that's moving you forward. I would just like to lead it off with uh, Amazon. You should come here. <laughs> I love it. You know, Matt, I'd love to, to offer this thought because there's enough happening that's very exciting. Absolutely. That will lead community leaders, even you know, business leaders to ask questions like, are, when will we be the next Silicon Valley or are we the next Silicon Valley? Mm -hmm. And I've always thought that's the wrong question to ask because there's really kind of only one Silicon Valley and it's an idea, not a region. So our goal is to be part of innovation at a level that hangs with the most innovative companies in the world. And I think that's what's starting to happen, right? I mean, these are really notable companies that could be anywhere in the world. Um, they choose to be in Indianapolis so that we are part of innovation at that scale. That's mm. the goal. It's mm -hmm. not about how many of these or how mm. many of those or how, you know, it's being part of it. Mm -hmm. Just be a part of the conversation. That, that, that's right. And part of the innovation. So our big opportunity it, yeah. is to shed this comparison mentality it, to Silicon yeah. Valley. And let's even call it an insecurity in some yeah. cases. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And if I could, you know, sort of detail on that, I mean, I think that uh, we we have to be we have to embrace what you know the, the climate that we're in and coming from a you know government and policy background, I think our legislators need to be more in touch with the you know the entrepreneurs and the investors on the ground. There's so many things that we can do from a state policy legislative perspective that would you know make and yeah we don't have beaches you know we don't have you know it's, Indiana needs to be a place that is, attracts. People who are graduating from Stanford to come to come to Indiana. Well, why? You know, there are incentives that we can put in place to facilitate that. I love mm. that. Yeah, that that would be huge. Well, so I'll, this will be my last, and I'll be quiet. Um, so some people, <laughs> what, what is, other large company are you going to invite to come to Indianapolis? Uh, let's just <laughs> let's hammer down on Amazon. Amazon, you'd come to Indianapolis. <laughs> so I, I continue to believe that there's the the last. Uh, well, I shouldn't say the last, but the 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 one big remaining thing we have not solved, and some people disagree with me on this, and and some people agree, um, but it's growth capital. And so if you want to start a company in in Indiana. You can you can go raise money. And you, a few hundred thousand, five hundred thousand, a million, two million, you can go raise money. Uh, but but once you've kind of proven you've gotten traction and, and you've had uh, you know product market fit and 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 you're you know getting to a million in ARR, you're kind of passing that number, and you need to go hammer down with a five million dollar raise. Um, you have to go outside of the state yep. to get that capital. And you know some would say that's not a problem that that's okay, and maybe that is okay. But but what happens in the in this whole world? Um, is success breeds success, and it's about risk-adjusted returns and about the recycling of that capital, of that wealth. Mm. That's, that's how we add wealth to the state of Indiana, to the citizens of Indiana, is recycling that money. And right now, we are giving away the vast majority of our risk-adjusted returns. That's where the wealth is made, and we need to solve that problem. 
Um, one step, I think, in the right direction is the next level fund. That's great. Um, and I think their strategy is absolutely spot on with the fund to funds concept. I think all that is great. Can you give the 30 second on next level fund? So for, for those tuning in that maybe aren't in Indiana or aren't aware. So uh, so Governor Holcomb and, and uh, Micah Vincent, who's the head of the OMB and, and some others, uh, but they I really want to commend them for taking a very bold move, a very bold step and um, and setting aside two hundred fifty million dollars. It's called the next level fund. Um, and those funds came out of it was cash that basically was just sitting there from the toll road uh, deal that Governor Daniels did. And so they want to try to put that capital to work. Um, and they're going to uh, they have a five member board. Uh, and they're going out now and looking for uh, VCs that they can be an LP in. And I think at a significant level, right, a, a $5 million or a, a 5 to $10 million kind of a number. So it's significant. And then and probably make a requirement that those VCs make a trip or two into Indy. And, and we, you know, we congregate all the, all the companies together so they can come in and see everybody at once. But that's how we will start to move the needle. And hopefully this next level fund will start to spur some of these larger coastal funds to say, hey, maybe I should set up shop mm -hmm. in Indy um, and, and set up an outpost and uh, to really help with deal flow. Um, but the whole goal being growth capital, risk-adjusted returns. We, we have we have uh, seed money here. We have friends and family money here. We have PEs here. Uh, we don't have growth VCs here. Thank you for sharing that perspective. Mm, yeah. That's, I 100% I agree. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think, um, you know, from my point of view, I mean, we're not we're not to that phase yet, but I think uh, people, I mean, people, 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 I think it's a, a strength and a weakness, you mm -hmm. know, in terms of um, we've been able to grow our business because of the amazing talent. I mean, all of our development team hails from Salesforce and Exact Target. Um, so that's been, you know, a blessing and kind of feeding that ecosystem, but we still need more, right? It's still really, really, really hard to find um, strong talent of A players when you are either bootstrapped or startups, you know, because we're all competing for the same talent yeah. and there's just not, there's not enough. So, um, you know, and TechPoint's doing wonderful things through the extern program, um, you know, and, and facilitating that from a development perspective. But I think there could also be more in all disciplines of startup, mm -hmm. you know, not only technology, but marketing. I mean, sales. it's, it's sales, mm -hmm. marketing. I mean, it's really, really hard to find class A talent that's affordable um, for startups. So I think... And really quick, you mentioned the extern program at mm -hmm. TechPoint. Um, that's the program that's matching uh, students oh. while they're still in undergrad mm -hmm. in CS programs with high-growth tech companies where mm -hmm. they can intern at during the summer as opposed to going to the coasts and right. interning at Microsoft or Google or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. So, yeah. yeah, great program. And is it in its third or fourth year now? Oh, boy. Third year, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. 1,500 applicants from 40 states. That's awesome. Eventually 150 internships. Mm -hmm. That's so great. Yeah, good perspective. I, I totally agree. You can never have to, enough talent on that front. Yeah. No, I, I would just echo what these guys have said. I mean, yeah. um, finding reta and retaining great talent, I think, is one of the biggest challenges for a CEO. Um, and, you know, we've been lucky through our connections, but I, I was reflecting back on if I hadn't been an exact target, mm. how would I have found all these people to begin with, you know, and yeah. we have a great dev team because of that and many of our salespeople and marketing. And so, um, you know, how do we encourage other people to come into this startup community who weren't from this exact target background and have access to that talent, you know? Yeah. Um, there is such a shortage, but I see more and more people staying and not going. Yeah. So it feels like we're on the right trajectory there with people, but that, that is a big 
So Check. if you're watching or you're listening and you're not in Indiana yet, what are you waiting for? <laughs> we have these amazing companies. We've got a great community and culture here, vibrant downtown, awesome music scene, great food scene. If you're not, you know, seeing all of our articles and all of the national publications on the food scene here, you're missing out because there are some seriously great spots mm -hmm. um, and just a great tech community as well that that you guys are clearly leaders in. Thank you guys so much for sharing your perspective here and good luck next week. Uh, clearly some tough competition for all of you. Um, I'm going to go around the horn here and just say, Toph, uh, if people want to find you, what's the best social network to find you on? And then uh, what's your website address? Uh, so website is uh, demandjump.com. And if you want to find me socially, I'm uh, Twitter is at Toph Day. Uh, LinkedIn is, I think, Christopher Day 25. Love it. And... However else, if you want to find me. I'm going to ask you me. to limit limit it to <laughs> yeah. one social account. One social account. Otherwise, we'll be here and people will be like, and my SoundCloud is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 120wateraudit.com and at Megan C. Glover. Awesome. Uh, Politicalbank.com and then LinkedIn. Just search Adam Barry. I don't know what the <laughs> domain is. I love yeah. it. Cool. Um, torchlight.com. We're T-O-R-C-H-L-I-T-E. Dot com and then I'm S underscore Marshall awesome. on Twitter. Yeah. Fusic with a Z, fusicmedia.com and at S McCorkle on Twitter. Great. And I encourage you, if you're still listening, still watching, please engage with these people here. They're all very active on social media, clearly good conversationalists, super smart entrepreneurs uh, and collaborators here in this tech community. Uh, thank you guys all for participating in this conversation and being a part of Rise of the Rest. And then we'll be live all day on October 12th. We're going to be doing all kinds of things. We'll be at Developer Town. We'll be at Speakeasy. We'll be at Union 525. We're going to do a cluster truck delivery with no. Chris Baggett and Steve K. So it's going to be awesome. We're all going to do it live on Facebook, and that's facebook.com forward slash powder keg. If you're not subscribed to the podcast, you'll hear this one go live next Tuesday. And you can find that podcast at powderkeg.com forward slash iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. And thanks for being a part of this awesome community. And for more stories on entrepreneurs, leaders, and professionals outside of Silicon Valley, make sure you give us a little subscribe on iTunes. You can find us at powderkeg.com slash iTunes. It's a handy dandy link we created just for you. You'll want to subscribe there because we have some amazing guests coming up. So please don't miss that. And while you're at it, please leave us a review on iTunes. This is how we reach new people and the positive reviews we've already received have helped us dramatically grow our audience for sharing these entrepreneurs stories. And while I'm on that subject, we've got a helpful companion website at powderkeg.com. You can find show notes for this episode as well as all of the past articles and interviews and even events. So come on out to one of our powder keg pitch nights. We have them all over the United States right now. Uh, but at those pitch nights, you can come and connect with other tech entrepreneurs, investors, and professionals that are just like you. So it's a great opportunity to get out from behind your computer screens, you know, take those headphones out, uh, and come learn about the latest companies, innovation strategies that are just disrupting industries and changing the world. We also live stream those events. So if you can't make it out in person or if we're not in your city yet, you can check us out at facebook.com slash powder keg. 
we've been getting some really awesome feedback from you guys, so thank you for that. Uh, but I go to a lot of these powder keg events myself. I just want to mention that again. So I'd love to catch you there in person if you can make it. Again, you can learn all about those events as well as new articles and episodes of Powder Keg Igniting Startups at powderkeg.com. I'll see you there or we'll talk to you on the next episode.